face reveal. Even though my face is easily available. I haven't been in a lot of face cam stuff lately, so everyone's like, Oh my god, that's why it looks like. It's just, just crazy. Oh, shit. Also, hey, it's, it's in a video that makes it a tax write-off now, right? That's how this works. Tax code makes perfect sense, obviously. Taking the place of Stephanie today is going to be this lovely Dark Souls art I got for Christmas, which is nice to look at. So, I'm gonna level with you guys. I've been procrastinating, and I would like your help in helping me not procrastinate anymore. Because if I'm doing a video, maybe I can focus on getting this shit done. Uh, so... A day or two, I guess it's probably like two days ago, we did session zero, because we're doing D&D. &D. Normally I don't want to talk about things that I haven't, like, aren't surely definitely going to happen, because, like, involves planning and a group of people, and I'm, like, worried that, like, the whole thing might fall apart and nothing happens, and then it's like, oh, I'm sorry for getting your hopes up about the thing, but at this point I put money down on this, so, like, something better happen. <laughs> I've already paid for the module and stuff like that, so, uh... Worse things are going to happen than getting some audience members hopes up if the D&D uh, &D series doesn't happen. That would suck. So I think we're I think we're ready to go. I think this is happening. We got a little squad together, uh, and this is going to be a really weird video. It's me genuinely getting some work done on my D&D &D character while also introducing some of you guys to some ideas about D&D. &D. And also, I'm going to I think I'm going to tell some stories to open things out more. So, you know, this intro part might be a little more fun, a little story time, and then we get to the actual character building, which should hopefully help increase some understanding with some people, like what D&D &D is as a concept and so on. Because, like, a lot of people, you know, like, D&D &D is, like, the archetypical RPG, like, that so much of everything is based around. Uh, and, like, we play video game RPGs here, but, like... What are the other RPGs and like how, like what 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 is the what is the root of all? Thank you, loud car. What is the root of all this? So I'm gonna sit here for probably a few hours and hang out. Uh, this will probably take the place of this week's Patreon video. Sorry, guys, but you know it's part of the Christmas break thing. It's fine. Uh, and uh, we're probably I should say this early on in the video. We're probably gonna stream D and D. I think this Saturday. Somewhere in the ballpark of like 2 or 3 p.m. Pacific time, I think, for probably multiple hours starting at that point. That'll be like our first session. That also might function as a good learning session, too, in addition to what we're doing here. The goal of this stuff isn't necessarily to be a tutorial outright. There are more effective tutorials. For example, ones that have a script and are carefully constructed and edited and well-paced and concise and stuff like that. Uh... But, you know, for those of you that are just kind of are around and watching my stuff, you might end up picking up stuff about D&D &D just by watching, like, this video and the next video. And then and then, if, if, you, if you don't care about that stuff, there's just going to be a whole series coming. But I do find it best the more people understand how D&D &D works to some extent if they want to watch the series or other D&D &D series because then they can better understand, like, what the hell is happening. So I'm going to do... I'm gonna put at least some effort into explaining some of what's going on around here. I got my I got my player's manual. My player's handbook is right here with a couple bookmarks in here. Uh, and I might have to stop to think about stuff every now and then because I'm genuinely building my character, but I'll try to edit those parts out after I get done explaining what choice I'm making. Then I'll be like, I'll like hammer down what the choice is. Then I'll be like, oh, here's the choice I made. And uh, one of the upsides here is you get to also have some understanding of what kind of character I'm playing. This time around, and we can kind of work that out together and all that. 
So as far as what's my background with D and D, uh, long time ago, way back in high school, I just heard about D and D. It's three point five. I, I I rented the manual from the library and got all excited. I was making my monk character. I filled out my char- character sheet. Specifically, I remember doing it in a tent. Like I was on a camping trip and I was filling out a character sheet in a tent, like in the middle of the night by flashlight. I don't know why those events like coincided. I've been on so few camping trips, but I guess they did. Uh, then we went to a local tabletop store that night and we, not that, not the night. Sorry. I don't know why I said that. Uh, we later went to a tabletop store, which was where we're going to like the back room to play D and D. And there was just this circle of people all around like this. We're all sitting in this booth like, against the wall. Like it's like a restaurant booth. And we're playing D&D. It was my first session ever. I kind of barely knew what I was doing. I don't actually remember any of the details of what I did necessarily. But what I do remember is it was a bunch of, it was one person that brought me. That was my friend. And then a bunch of people I didn't know. And one of those people was the dungeon master. And that dungeon master was getting increasingly frustrated because he clearly had a really specific plan for what the campaign was supposed to be and what was supposed to happen in this story. And the players kept him like completely like either going in different directions or doing things other than what he expected them to do or uh, completely subverting whatever challenges or puzzles he had by being clever or doing the things that the characters are capable of doing, which... uh not the best first session. He got very frustrated. He was he, he was very he was noticeably annoyed, and then we never did it again. So I never played D anD D again for years, and uh, it was just a little one off story thing. Like oh, that was weird. Nowadays, I'm like more aware of like okay, that was probably. I get the feeling that was probably an inexperienced dungeon master that wasn't fully prepared for the like what it's like to be a dungeon master. Because I mean, we're all we're all. Uh, high school students so he probably didn't have like years of experience there's we won't, we've barely been around for years uh and D is kind of a niche thing and all that but the thing about that's cool about specifically D and role-playing tabletop games and so on is that kind of anything can happen which makes the dungeon master's job really hard because they have to improvise and kind of make up stuff on the fly or react and become the world because uh, uh, it's like the dungeon master is every character and the world itself simultaneously and is and is none of the party members, basically. That's what's so crazy about D&D. And I'll just assume whenever I say D&D that I'm also I also mean all other tabletop games. I'm not going to keep specifying that. I only specifically only mean D&D when I talk about a mechanic that's specific to D&D, which is not what I mean when I talk about RPGs in general. But like when you play Fallout or uh, Divinity or Original Sin or any other like RPG type game and like you do a thing and the world reacts to you 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 can be impressed by the things that it does to react to you but oftentimes you think like wow there's only so many things it's usually the really impressive thing comes from like wow i can't believe they had dialogue about that thing that i did the game knows i did that or hmm i did this one really weird thing like i I, like i played uh I did that little like micro series that never got finished on Fallout 3 that was like Patreon sponsored like years ago where uh, I made a stupid character and I was going to blow up Megaton, but I was too stupid to blow up Megaton. And so I needed drugs to blow up Megaton because I I needed drugs to make my brain think good. And that was a problem for me. So I met up with this guy as a local drug dealer and met up with him in his weird little place where he wanted me to where he was going to sell me some drugs. 
and then I, I bought the drugs from him and then I shot him as he was leaving the room to take my money back. So I actually just took the drugs and the money because like, why would I care? Why would I have misgivings about killing him? My plan is to blow the whole town up. And then I, you know, go off and blow up the town and, and so on and enjoy that. Like those kind of interactions, like those little moments, like when you get to do something beyond the obvious choices is usually what's really cool about some uh, RPG video games, like moments like that where I can like, oh, like in, in, a, in a bad game, you would want to blow up the town, but you wouldn't have the stat for it. And you'd be like, well, I guess I can't blow up the town. And then you just move on with your life and you, that storyline just goes away. But a better game lets you buy special drugs that let you find an alternate way to blow up the town. And an even better game lets you shoot the merchant that you bought the drugs from to take your money back once they agreed to meet with you. So that you can take your money and the drugs and blow up the town with no cost to you except for maybe the bullet. Uh, like, those are increasingly lo increasing levels of complexity. And as you might imagine, video games are expensive to make and there's a lot to them. So, like, doing all that is hard... And so that's why RPG video games almost never fully realize the potential of what they could be as a genre because that's that's it's hard and expensive and like it's so expensive compared to the profits you make from it that uh, basically every AAA company has completely stopped making RPGs. Hooray! The genre is dying. Hooray! It's not really dying because CD Projekt Red will crop, will prop up its corpse single-handedly by being the only kind of AAA thing because they're kind of a AAA indie company because they have a mountain of money but they're not beholden to a different publisher as far as I'm aware or so on. But like Bioware is like a rotting corpse at this point and all the other AAA companies that made RPGs pretty much all died already. So we're pretty much down to like Bio... like. Maybe Bioware surprised us sometime, but probably not. That Anthem was not a good sign. Uh, and everyone who ever made the good Bioware stuff is pretty much gone anyway. Uh, so it's pretty much just cyberpunk. And, like, Witcher came out years ago, and we're just now getting to cyberpunk. So, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a while between CD Projekt Red games. But, like, we got some good stuff coming out this year. Maybe, uh, I, 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 Outer Wilds. I, gotta, I mean, Outer Worlds. Shit. Outer Worlds? It is worlds, right? Yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. I guess that that is kind of a AAA kind of RPG style thing that kind of came out of a surprise. That that company is a is a they they come and go. They're a surprise because that's that's Obsidian. So like they do Pillars of Eternity and stuff like that. And we got Disco Elysium this year. We got we got some good stuff. So the, the people that are fans of the genre are not don't have to worry about it being dead. It's just that like. There's an inherent conflict between how hard it is to make an RPG and how much money is actually allotted to making RPGs. And so, despite being arguably the most expensive genre to make, uh, we aren't getting that money because it's all going to, like, Call of Duty and Fortnite. So, get we, we, we it's, it's kind of just part of the whole industry is, like, we kind of just get used to, like... Get it, taking what we can from indie and double-A developers, which can be genuinely fantastic, like Disco Elysium and stuff like that. But there's also, like, a lot of, like, Eurojank double-A RPGs that come out that, like, they have a lot of cut corners and each one's a total, sh like, it's just a total mixed bag every single time they make a new game. And you're like, well, I'll just take what I can that's good out of this and, and just deal with the bad that's here because these people had to make this game on a schedule and a budget and, you know... That's all that's left. Uh, that whole thing. But uh, what's cool about tabletop RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons is that budget kind of goes out the window. You can just make shit up 
And because you have an actual human being that's running the entire world, depending on how good they are at doing that, they can just make the possibilities happen. So you don't need like a team of programmers to make 12 different characters with all their assets and character models and then program the AI to react to all the specific things that you want to do in, in this particular situation. And then also voice act all of those things, which means you need to pre-write all of the possibilities that your game is going to allow for and then voice act all of those possibilities because voice acting is like relatively mandatory especially for the tr- the 3d like first person rpgs like fallout and stuff like that like there's, there's so many levels of complexity there that you can just throw out the window because you're playing D and you're like you're just looking at a map you're looking at a map and sometimes it's not even a map and you guys are just making it up in your heads uh and your characters probably don't have custom art at all and you just have like a figure or nothing and you just kind of fill in the blanks there and the dungeon master plays all the characters so he can just make your the, the world react to you and your your whole D session can go in a completely different direction than anyone was ever planning whether using a module or a custom world that was kind of planned out or what like it could just go into a completely different direction like uh my most recent D campaign that we were doing at marty's house that ended abruptly and just didn't happen anymore partly because one of the players was being a dick and the player and the dm was was new at it and uh that's just not a good mix when you have a veteran player that's kind of a just being awful uh and you have a new dungeon master that's just trying to hold this together and that's just a bad mix uh but we were gearing up to do like a a heist where we steal a dragon egg and it's like i don't think that was anywhere in the script for what was happening at all in the module we were playing which was some kind of like under dark uh pre-packed thing it's just i was just very amused by like stuff just happened in ways and so on but as far as my back my backstory because i'm already off topic because i always 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 am uh played it in high school for one session was very let down by the fact that i spent all the time like making my monk character and then never got to actually really play them really uh but then i went on to uh get we got to get to college to geology majoring and all that and uh i just we had this i was like hey we should hang out during the summer all of us because we had like a group of friends and uh so we we started meeting up to do tabletop games and and it was like the first one we were totally unprepared so we had like apples to apples and yahtzee and some bullshit and then we quickly moved on to like munchkin and elder sign and much more interesting things and arkham horror and it keep and it kept going in more directions till finally we just broke out D D outright uh and that got interesting quickly. I did a, I did a, th- a thing that in my character that I quickly recognized as being a trope for new players. I made a half orc who was a hunter, and he was racist. And so, because he was racist, he didn't want to really deal with all of these other characters in the party. Which was my way of dealing with the fact that I was kind of afraid of like improvising dialogue. So I just made like this character that had kind of had an incentive not to interact with the other characters so much. Uh, and uh, I will going forward, I've seen multiple instances of other players doing similar things, not specifically that, but like different things where they, they come up with an excuse for why their character won't speak so much because they're not they don't they're not like ready for that like drama club shit yet because <laughs> it, take, it takes a while to get yourself ready for that weirdness. Uh, I still feel like I'm bad at that anyway, but, you know, if, if you're running a show, you're going to have to talk. Uh, that guy 
in particular there's a there's a story i always like where i split we split the party uh and everyone was exploring this tomb and i kind of stealthed away unbeknownst to everybody and i found this massive room full of gold and treasure and a giant like scorpion sleeping on top of it like a dragon and the scorpion was so big it had grown up inside that room like it must have been put in that room then grew larger and now couldn't leave the room because it was so big so I used to do a little stealth check to sneak inside and steal some of the treasures. And I do have to, I, he kept making me do stealth checks over and over again. Each time I did a different proce- step of this process, I got my way in, picking up the loot, leaving, and so on. And there was also a thing I had to climb over on the way in and out that was kind of blocking the door. And so I, I kept passing every single stealth check all the way up until the moment where I was leaving the room, at which point I failed the stealth check. The, the scorpion woke up. I felt badly, too, if I remember correctly. And the scorpion uh, grabs me with its giant claw, and it's, like, grappling me and crunching me to death and all that. Uh, it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, its claw, I think, was around me, and it was outside the room. So it, it grabbed me while I was already leaving the get the room. So it's in the inside. It can't reach me, really, besides the, the claw that's already around me. I think the fact that it was had opened its claw and grabbed me made it so that it couldn't even pull the, its claw back out the back through the door to it so it was just kind of trapped with its arms sticking through the 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 gate and it keeps grappling me and it's doing a lot of damage to me and I can't escape and then it like critically fails at grappling me on its like final check and so it just drops me out of range and it can't pick me back up but I'm unconscious because I'm at zero or or negative hit points like I'm I'm between conscious and dead or unconscious and dead or something and it's like the only reason I survived this whole thing was because uh like b- like both the scorpion and I kept ch- kept making successful checks all the way until the moment we didn't at the last possible second which in my case led to a failed stealth thing but still got all the loot just some broken bones probably and the uh scorpion like almost killed me until it didn't and then it just I was just out of its range and it couldn't reach me anymore, couldn't pick me back up because I fell down to the ground and it was already at the like the, the extent of how far it could reach. And it's like, well, that was lucky. Huh. But there's a there's some lessons for role playing to be taken from here and there for some of the stuff that like here I was doing something that some people look down on, which is I was splitting the party, which is when you leave the main party, because then you have the the dungeon master has to run two games simultaneously, kind of, and you kind of go back and forth between the two narratives and depending on i think in this situation it was fine but in some situations really really extreme splits of the party where like major things are happening in different locations can sometimes get really messy but it wasn't such a big deal in this case but that character ended up dying not there but later in the same temple actually uh it wasn't really my fault uh just bad news happened uh so i came back as a druid and this is a good, this is going to be seen as an example of bad storytelling here, but 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 by the way, just look, looking back at that scorpion thing, like what a ridiculous, insane scenario! Like this is the weirdness of me stealthing in and out, and then the scorpion doing that and all that. Like it's really hard to imagine those that that mechanically playing out in a video game, like that, that even being a mechanic set and rule set that could even be implemented. And I just I find that kind of interesting. Like that's such a weird, specific experience. But since my character died, I, I rolled a new character uh, and was back the next session with a new character and so on. They're still exploring the temple, so I came up with the role-playing concept of, like, well, they're, they're exploring a weird pyramid temple in the middle of, like, the jungle, so I'm just going to make some kind of druid character that's actually, like, some kind of watcher of that area 
and he's like keeping an eye on these people because that that's infringing in this territory and like he's gonna end up being wrapped like getting mixed up into the story as a result uh, but as an example of bad role playing there's a concept called player knowledge and character knowledge and uh i i, I try to keep this part straight as much as i can sometimes the difference is the, the 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 stuff that I know as a human who's playing a video uh, playing a tabletop game that's not real and I know things as a result versus what the the character that I'm playing knows in universe and what they reasonably would know. Uh, this was a concept that was applied poorly by many players that I've seen before, and this is going to be an example of that. Uh, so I kept spying on these people as various white uh, druid shape-shifting forms i made a i made a shape-shifting druid that could like go into a few different forms and as kind of a motif i just had this idea that like the there would be a consistent color to the forms to sort of implement this idea that like it's almost like a recognizable motif to the appearances of the forms basically like it uh so they, they would they would just kind of see like a white wolf pass by and then they see like a white uh like hawk perched up in a in a window or whatever the hell and Ben just, like, attacks me for some reason. And it's, like, I guess because he knows that I'm a player because I'm here. But, like, we're, I'm, just, I'm just trying to do this cute thing where, like, we, we foreshadow the introduction of a new character by, like, repeatedly encountering these very tertiary creatures in a wildlife area. Like, this is an area that has wildlife in it. So it's not nor it's not it's not weird to see a random creature just kind of around. They're not hostile. They're not attacking you. They're not even near you, really. They're just kind of over there and going by. Sometimes they look at you and then they leave and so on. It's like they they got more. They're supposed to have more important fish to fry. There's shit going on. Like things are attacking them and so on. Uh, but like they just would like they just decided to start attacking me at one point because they just knew I was me, the human pro- player that's playing a druid. And it's like I. <sighs> disappointing I've, I've seen some people that are good at role that role-playing games and some people are just really bad at it and people if you if you approach this as a video game you're used to thinking of like being good or bad at, at something as being termed in terms of like how well you play it mechanically and it's like no it's not about like winning the fights it's like are you good at interacting with this group of people and making like things happen and it's like if you if you're breaking character so strongly and acting really strangely, then that's just kind of weird. In this case, he was like a monk that was supposed to be kind of, he had all these like vows and he was supposed to be all like peaceful and stuff. So his weird blood, bloodlust was odd and his attacking of random animals without actually doing any checks to verify that he knew it was a druid or anything is just like weird. Uh, so that was, that was always like a bad a bad example of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's there's cool shit that goes in. Like uh, that same druid was was when I fell in love with druids in the first place in D and D because we later stormed a castle, and as we were storming that castle, I went into my travel form because I was I was playing as a special variant of druid that's in the uh, I think it's the advanced player's handbook or whatever, the extended rule set for three point five. Uh, where you could do like variants of various classes. This one did not have an animal familiar because 3.5 druids had animal familiars. Instead, he could shapeshift. And instead of shapeshifting into like any animal, because normally you like can shapeshift into any animal and you get the stats of that animal, uh, 
this one had like dedicated forms. So I had a tra like a travel form and a combat form and a flight form and so on that had like different roles to them and each one had dedicated stats and they actually leveled up as I leveled up. So I actually had a I had an entire character sheet for each of my forms that kept track of what their stats were and so on because they were actually dedicated they had they, they were consistent creatures that had specific rules i could shapeshift way more than normal i could do it really consistently as opposed to having like a limit on how many times i could do it per day but i didn't have an animal familiar so that's like the trade-off that they do there uh, one thing in particular is i i, I call them a travel form but I, I had like a i had like a white wolf i had like a white like dire wolf that was like more of a combat or no it was, more, it was more of a bear actually I think I had a bear form. I think I had a wolf form, a bear form, and like a, and eventually I'd have like a flight form or something. Uh, the main gimmick of the wolf form is that he just went way faster than normal. Uh, most players have a movement speed of 30, which means they can move 30 uh, feet per turn. Uh, and if you, if you, I think if you do a sprinting action, you can do two movement actions per turn or something like that. But like, uh, Everyone's approaching this keep. We apparently need to attack this place. It's caught a. It's got a bunch of like orcs or whatever on top of the, the the wall, and they're all shooting crossbow bolts at everybody. And there's there's cool shit happening. My friend Sid, he's playing. A, he was playing a turtle, like wizard or something, and he's like conjuring force fields and like trying to protect the party and where they're all trying to slowly approach but i just shapeshift into my travel form and i just sprint at the side of this place uh i sprint right up to the keep go right around the corner so i'm just out of line of sight of all the archers that are on top of the wall i shapeshift into my whatever form i don't actually don't remember what uh was he also a ha he might have also been a half orc actually i might have done another half orc i don't remember anymore what the actual non like non i don't remember what his uh his race was i go around the corner and i use like stone shape or something to create a passage very full metal full metal alchemist inspired where i wanted to like be able to like alchemize the environment and shape shift it and so on so i like created a passage in the side of the wall i open up i i get inside this keep and i seem to have entered into their armory and this is around the time where something ridiculous starts happening on top of the wall. Uh, the orcs keep crit failing, which is when you roll a d20, you get a crit if you get a 20. You can also get crits on other numbers sometimes, but we won't get into that right now. And you get a crit fail if you get a 1. This is where, this is the ridiculous part of D&D, &D, usually, is that something crazy happens in both both cases, usually. It's like a crit is usually like just big bad news. Like, this is a big... Either it's like a heavy attack, and sometimes the the, the dungeon master might like role play it as being like something crazy and ends up happening. Like, especially if it's not an attack, like if it's a skill check and you perform something or do some kind of task, and then you crit succeed at it, then like some sort of extra flourish might be added, or you might get some sort of extra reward or something really cool happens. If you crit fail, something really bad can happen. And the way this guy was interpreting it is that this guy, that all these archers that were shooting their bows and so on, uh, when they would crit fail, their weapon would break. And so they would go down to the armory in order to get a new weapon and then, so they could run back up and fight them. This led to a situation where all uh, a series of archers from upstairs were running single file into fighting me. Oh, that's why it was bears. Now I remember. I summoned an army of bears as a druid and then i think i shapeshifted into my direwolf form and so the room was full of bears and me which is already bad without the bears 
and a bunch of orcs with no weapons, because their weapon broke when they crit failed, are walking single file down here one by one to fix their shit. And so what happens is even before my allies reach the keep, one by one, orcs are just mysteriously vanishing and they don't know why. And I just it's just a really funny little narrative that I always enjoyed about that. I, I, I love druids because they could do just weird things oftentimes. Like, you think of spellcasters, in, in, especially in video games, because video games have a very limited way of implementing mechanics, and almost everything is built around violence and how to violently do things. So when you think of a spellcaster in a video game, you think of somebody that, like, shoots a fireball or, like, chain lightning or a frozen orb, or maybe you can freeze people, like, dead in their tracks or paralyze them or put them to sleep or, like... You're used to, like, status effects and damage as being, like, basically what spells are in video games. You get, you get a lot of this from, like, playing your Elder Scrolls games and so on like that. Like, there's just, like, a, a limit to what you ever do. Like, it's, and it's, it's unimaginative and it's disappointing. Like, one of the bummers about MMORPGs, in particular, like, World of Warcraft, is that, like, a world of role-playing is supposed to be, like, a world of role-playing it's like the the possibilities there are so enticing and exciting and then you play an actual mmorpg like world of warcraft or everquest or whatnot and really what you do is you pretty much just attack things a lot and the numbers go up saying you did a good job here's your next quest here's your next level or whatever you don't make any story decisions even like even by video game standards our mmorpgs are bad rpgs because you can't like make choices of what to do in most in most MMORPG quests, especially World of Warcraft, you just get a task, complete task, get reward, get a new task, complete task, get a reward. And the most interesting thing about playing those games is usually just that you <clears throat> pick a lot of tasks up and then try to strategically like pick out what order to do all these tasks in in a nice like consistent and like like a uh, efficient loop where you get all the stuff done in one go. <clears throat> and then like you're like oh cool i got all this stuff done now i can uh now i can get a bunch of rewards back to back and like that was a very efficient little session i did like that's not it's not role playing you're not doing cool interesting things with your character and you're also not role playing because you're not making any choices or doing anything this is even more true for modern world of warcraft because like you at least had the rpg mechanics of like customizing your character with like special skills and talents back in the day but now you really just pick a class and then your characters automatically progress with almost no customization nowadays so it's they uh, world of warcraft has even become less of an rpg over time in the like strictest like you know sense of what an rpg actually is this is why i'm critical of like jrpgs and like i'll be like those aren't real rpgs and i'm not trying to say they're not good games i'm just saying that they're not good rpgs because you don't role-playing in them at all you it's usually but you usually just fight a bunch of random monsters and then a movie plays and then you fight more monsters then then more movies play and you just watch the movie and that's the story and it's like that's uh, that's exactly as much rpg-ing that's as, that's as much role-playing as every other video game that isn't called a jrpg so it's not an rpg in my book i just but i have to call it a jrpg because that's what language is we've decided on that at this point but uh, I, I quickly loved all the weird things I could do as my druid, like circumventing entire areas and doing weird tricks like that. Like there was a part where <clears throat> there was a weird trap where gravity inverted and the ceiling was like the ceiling was covered in 
in a uh, in spikes and gravity inverted and oh god what are we gonna do and uh i just i just turned into a bird and i just flew down the hallway and it was, it was no big deal because <laughs> uh druids are all about having a weird utility belt of surprises that solve all your problems and like i think that's pretty cool i like that i think that's neato uh where am I going with this? That's just that's just more of that. This is more side stories. I'm trying I'm trying to run down my line of different RPG experiences to some extent. Another example of bad role playing. Uh, I dabbled in Vampire the Masquerade and Shadowrun. Uh, Shadowrun was not a great session. Uh, Sid brought a friend in that liked to run Shadowrun games that we'd never met before, and I didn't know what Shadowrun was as a setting at all. I was just kind of assigned the job of fixer, which was like the worst job to get because the, like, the, if I remember correctly, the basis of my job was that like I was the guy who knew people and had connections and so on and could like manifest things and like make get get stuff done and make jobs happen and all that. So I pretty much just had to keep turning to the DM and asking what I do because I didn't know what my character did and I also didn't know what the world was. So I was kind of just kind of like passively letting things happen this this guy he tried so hard he like he uh like uh there, he he set up one of the other characters like she, she got to be a femme fatale and she's having a great time and uh, by the end she had fired like this giant laser that took out the corner of an entire building or something and like it was this massive cataclysmic ending to the session that was clearly planned as being like this big wow moment and like he was really trying to like pizzazz this whole up as being a cool intro session for uh for shadow run and kudos to him but like i was definitely not really sure what was happening the whole time and i was like i uh i'm just gonna try to politely get through this it, it, it wasn't it wasn't great. I had never played any Shadowrun game before then and didn't actually really know what the setting was even supposed to be. And it just kind of, it could have gone better. Uh, I, have a, I have a bad history of like being assigned characters and then just like not knowing what to do with it or whatnot and so on. But then, uh, as far as bad role playing by other people, again, there was a, oh God, I, I, got, I almost forgot about this. Uh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that later. So we 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 tried a little bit of Vampire the Masquerade. I made uh, we actually we actually know a little bit more about Vampire the Masquerade now because I played uh, Bloodlines on this channel uh, like a year ago or something. Uh, and at the time, though, this was my first experience with the universe. It's like okay, it's modern day. There's vampire. Uh, there's vampires and werewolves and stuff like that, and that's just normal. But you're, the mask it's called a masquerade because you're supposed to not reveal that you're a vampire to the modern world and all that stuff. Uh, what I did is I made like the is the, the I, I keep wanting to say Char, but Char is the beast people from uh, from Beauty and the, no, I almost said Beauty and the Beast. The the, the beast people from Guild Wars Two that look like Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Basically, they're basically the same creature type, as far as I could tell. Uh, but no, it's I think it starts with a C though. But I, I was playing as that particular. Uh, Faction? Family? Clan. 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 I think it's the right word for for those, the different classes, basically, that exist in uh, Vampire. And I, I took the, I took the, fl I, I like the whole, like, boons and flaws system where you can have, like, good things and bad things for your character. And you kind of, like, you kind of give yourself bad things that give you a budget to buy good things. 
So it's like it's a, it's designed like you're 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 given an incentive to give your character flaws and defects and problems they're gonna have to deal with throughout the campaign because those give you a budget of points you can spend to buy good things for your character to counteract those things and so on. I I made my character somebody that like couldn't pass the masquerade, so they had to like cover themselves or they wouldn't be able to like pass through human society without revealing themselves and all that. And it was I was interested in that character, uh, but we didn't get very far. But what went really poorly is that the uh, what went really poorly with that particular campaign is that the uh, just the role playing was so bad because one of the things that I one of the things I found is that a lot of people who are not used to tabletop RPGs and they're just used to video game RPGs they're used to treating it as like a series of combat encounters and dungeons that reward you with loot and experience, which to be fair is what video game rpgs do almost exclusively especially if you're you associate rpg as being like diablo 2 and 3 and stuff like that where you just get dumped into a world where the only way of interacting with the world is to hit things and then they pinata they they pinata out a bunch of like gold and rewards all over the floor and stuff like that uh that whole thing uh which admittedly i was there once like once upon a time uh i i I, because i I was a diablo player and a warcraft world of warcraft player and so on and uh i played some i played fallout 3 and i'm like this is fucking rad and so when i ran a fallout 3 to play i was like i should go play fallout like one and two and then i when i looked at fallout one and two i was like what is what's happening i can't this isn't this doesn't look this doesn't feel right because it looks like Diablo but it doesn't play like Diablo and I didn't I didn't get any very far and I actually had another experience with that where I played uh Dungeons and Dragons the Temple of Elemental Evil was my first ever CRPG I bought it on a whim off the shelves of that very same uh video game store at the very the very same same tabletop store where I w- would end up trying to play D&D once I uh, I just it just had the like the PC like giant cardboard box that PC games came in, and I tried playing uh, Temple of Elements of Evil when I got home, and I couldn't figure out how to even play the game. I was so not ready for that because video games were just not like that. I had never played Baldur's Gate or any other like CRPG before, so like I genuinely just wasn't ready for that idea. It's like giving somebody who played Duck Hunt and Mario and Ninja Gaiden a copy of Miss and just sitting them down with no context, which is also a thing that happened to me. Uh, I played a bunch of Nintendo games as a kid, and then I played Mist one day on my like grandmother's computer, and I genuinely didn't understand what i was looking at or what this was because i was just like my media exposure had not expanded in that way correctly uh and this is what happens it's it's like i don't i don't look down on people that that do this stuff necessarily because it's like you just part of the growth there but some people refuse to grow when they're exposed to different ideas and this is this story is going to be kind of an example of that we're playing vampire the masquerade we're in a suburban neighborhood and we're supposed to uh we're just supposed to go, like, we're just here. I, I, we had some kind of vague mission. We are kind of looking for something, kind of, or something. But, like, Ben and Jake's response to the situation was to just kind of, like, break into various houses. Like, just they, just, they just picked a door and went in it. And if they saw, like, something moving in the darkness, they would, like, attack it. Which led to a few situations where like somebody would like come running out the door 
on fire and they'd like murder them in, in, in front of their house in the front yard and all that. And they kept like berating me for like not like attacking and like not like taking part in the dungeon and everything like that. And I this whole time I just kept staying out on the sidewalk and just kind of watching and, and being like, what are you what are you doing? And like they're just kind of working their way down the street, attacking things, asking like what kind of loot there was and stuff like that. And I'm like, this isn't this isn't a dungeon. This is this is just a suburban neighborhood where people are like sleeping because it's nighttime and you're just like lynching people <laughs> like it's a like I, I i was clearly taking to the rpg like like both character knowledge elements and also like like role-playing elements faster than these people were apparently because they they just were clearing the environment like it's a, like it's a diablo 2 zone and i just wasn't i was just so confused I'm like why is this why is this happening stop that Ah. <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a, it's a fun little moment though. It's uh it's informative cuz uh you learn about what kind of players people are and how people interact with this art form and and like you can kind of look look back in the context of like cuz I I'm like Dr. Manhattaning this entire conversation apparently where I keep jumping in, in time so much but like it's like but like I I can't meme that. I can't recreate that scene, but that Dr. Manhattan scene where he's a uh, like something's he's dropping something's falling to the ground but simultaneously this is happening and simultaneously this is happening it's supposed to it, it, like symbolize how he's in multiple places at, at once because he's unstuck from time uh that's kind of the idea coming to mind of like my way of currently processing this conversation or this podcast or whatever i'm doing uh is that i'm like talking about this in the context of like i'm watching these people dumbfounded like right now it's 2019 last day of the year i'm looking at my D character sheet and wondering about how long i'm going to spend before i actually do anything with the actual controls of this computer before i finish these stories know that but simultaneously i'm also a vampire watching my my cl- my classmates from geology very poorly role play because they don't understand anything besides dungeon crawling and looting and killing but at the same time i'm also a young boy who is <laughs> who is playing elemental temple of elemental evil for the first time and doesn't understand what the fuck is happening because i've only ever played diablo 2 it's like I- i'm all these people at once and none of these people Woo. uh <laughs> oh this is a mess this is gonna be i wonder if this will maybe this will be the Oh god, I'm already so far in. This will be a New Year's Eve special event. This will be all of the videos for New Year's Eve. I'll, no, no other videos will come out this day. Uh, people will hate that probably. I don't know, or they'll love it. Special event. Holidays are a good excuse for special. You should you should all be doing fun things instead of being here. Whatever. I'm, this is a massive inefficient thing for my schedule to be doing right now. But like, I couldn't bring myself to like get work done today. So like. The fact that I'm doing this at all, uh, I guess this this will just have to be what I'm doing this day. It's just that you know, variety is good, right? Or or not? I don't know. Uh, maybe this will be a series of videos that come out today. I'm talking about this while I'm in the video. This is really good formatting. Uh, but no, you, you just learn from people that do this kind of stuff. Uh, so, so I think one of the words that comes up is murder hobo. It's just like you... It's just a word that dungeon masters sometimes use to describe certain kinds of players. There's a bunch of different archetypes of player types, and one of them is the murder hobo, which is somebody that just just kills and loots and levels up and so on. And maybe you can make them like 
neutral evil or chaotic neutral or some sort of like alignment that explains that or maybe the dungeon master just kind of works around that and it's like oh this isn't much of a story playthrough and not all role playing is going to happen but sure let's just play out some combat scenarios i guess but for me what's really cool about dnd is that a lot so much of the game can be about not combat and a really cool thing about that is like yeah i've had a i've had multiple sessions of rpg session uh tabletop rpg sessions where like no one rolls an attack die the entire session. It's like three or four hours. And we're like all enraptured in what's happening. We're fully engaged. We're having fun. Shit's going down. Plenty of things are happening. But no one ever hits somebody with a stick and then they take damage from the stick hit. And it's like one of the failures of RPGs is how much they... Uh, how much One of the failures of video game RPGs is how much they just don't ever succeed at recreating why that's so cool so i don't know i just wanted to share some stories with you guys that explains some of the stuff that i find cool and if you want to you can also dip into like i have a i have a pre-existing rpg uh i have an already existing DD playlist on this channel where we did uh DD, but it's been a while since that happened too so i just wanted to reintroduce some of you guys to this whole idea and you could hear some stories of silly things that happened or whatnot and hopefully you guys will be open to some cool stuff that happens going forward but uh sid eventually decided to punish these people as particularly ben for role-playing poorly so when we were back at playing DD 3.5 he was playing a monk that had like various vows and so there's a concept called uh character alignment that's really important to let's see Let's bring this up for you guys, because I'm going to help explain this to you guys as we go. Oh my god, there's too many memes. I just want the real pictures instead of memes. This will have to do. Boop, boop. Gah. There we go. Should be on screen somewhere. Boop, boop, offset slightly. There we go. I'm a master streamer that definitely is used to using OBS on the fly and so on. I don't like looking at myself. Oh no, I can see myself. Uh, so we got this guy right here. This is the alignment chart of D&D. So we got lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, lawful neutral, true neutral, chaotic neutral, lawful evil, neutral evil, chaotic evil. You can look up a wiki page that'll explain to these in great detail. I'm not going to do that because it's really exhausting to explain nine roles. But generally, the idea here is that this these describe some idea of how the morality of your character works. Uh, you're either good or evil, which of course is not always easy to define because that's still what we're working on in real life and all that. And then you're either lawful or chaotic. Or, any, or anywhere in between of those two ideas. And that's so it's a spectrum of those. I love this chart. Not because it's perfect for making a character concept, but because this is a really old role-playing concept that still illustrates a really important lesson for people to take out of real life, which is what is legal and illegal is not always the same thing as what is right and wrong. And a fucking tabletop RPG from like decades ago already had that illustrated for a bunch of nerds and stuff like that. And it's like, it's surprisingly hard to convince people of this concept sometimes. Because 
like like there's also like like, like, like for example there's, there's often an idea of like if you're in jail you del- you deserve to be in jail because you broke the law and everyone who's in jail is a criminal and doesn't deserve to vote and doesn't deserve all these other things because they're they're all criminals and how dare they break those laws without ever really stopping to take a look at how much those laws are like important or not or whether or not those laws are worth ruining people's lives over and stuff like that so it's like i don't know man uh a good example of that is that, like nowadays like a huge percentage of people that are in jail are there for drug offenses and it's like i are these many lives worth ruining because drugs of all things like the number of these people that aren't that are non-violent offenders for example like it's like then you look into the background of like how drugs became so illegal and why they're punishable in these ways and then you're like this whole system's really questionable and this order of operations and like sequence of events is all like very suspect and yet that's the base under which so many people are labeled as being criminals which makes which is like shorthand for like being bad for society and all that which is like yeah to be fair like as a child you're immediately programmed to think that criminals are bad and so like but like even even this game from the get-go is able to illustrate the idea that like wait what's criminal and what's bad are not always the same thing just like how what's legal and what's good is not always the same thing just like like how a lot of things that Amazon does are legal but not good, and a lot of things that people are in jail for sometimes are like well they're they're not necessarily bad but they're illegal so they're in jail. You could argue that them breaking the law is itself like a bad thing to do, but like that's like I don't know. A lot of us break the law in certain ways. That, are, that we just kind of don't see as being that big of a deal because it's like, well, it's us, right? And, you know, we didn't hurt anybody with that thing when you speed or whatever the hell you did. Uh, every, I think I think everyone has broken the law X number of times, even if they didn't mean to, because there's just a lot of laws and all that. Uh, I've, I've, I've known people who, like, shit on people that are, that are in jail. Like, if you didn't want to do the time, you shouldn't have done the crime. And people shouldn't be able to vote if they're in those ter- in those situations. Because, like, but then, like, I know that person has done crimes because I know them. Because, like, and it's like, I've, I've seen that, that that play out so many times in my life. And it's like, people just, like, I don't know, there's a cognitive dissonance there that's kind of rough. So I, I love that this chart exists. I love that, like, what's good and evil and lawful and unlawful are separate from each other. And so specifically, you could be lawful evil, which is a fun concept. It's somebody who does bad things and is self-serving and selfish and horrible and corrupt, but they're like maybe a politician or something like that, or like somebody that like works within the mainframe of like within the guidelines of the system to do bad things while not necessarily doing things that are illegal and so on. And I find those those ideas really interesting. Uh, But I bring this up because... uh, if you play certain religious characters in particular, like a monk or especially a paladin, uh, the basis of all of your powers is often determined by your alignment and how, like, correctly you uh, subscribe to uh, what kind of person you're supposed to be. Because uh, you're often religiously devoted and your religious devotion gives you your abilities. And so if you stray from the path of who you're supposed to be as a person, you can actually lose those powers which is really interesting uh sid who was not the dungeon master but is a more informed player uh was in this particular session trying to punish 
uh, Ben for constantly kind of not role playing correctly. In this case, we had somebody, uh, we used the deck of many things earlier in the campaign, and that resulted in uh, the NP, an NPC companion with us also drew from the deck of many things, and they got a companion character that was like a weird, like, servant summon thing. But then that NPC died like weeks later in, a, in the campaign. And the servant kind of like lashed out and panicked and went crazy. And so we subdued them. And Ben was deciding that we should kill this person. Whereas I was arguing the other way around. And it's like, what the, what the fuck? You can't just kill them. What the, they're like, as far as we can tell, they're a real person, maybe, I think. And uh, I was like, why is Ben arguing this way? But in particular, Sid was taking Ben's side. And I was really confused why Sid was doing that because I was really I was especially sure that that Sid knew better. And then we uh, later on, Sid's taking a smoke break and he talks to me and I and he tells me that like yeah he was he was trying to sabotage Ben's character because if Ben did decide to murder this person in cold blood for whatever for whatever nonsense reason he had, uh, he was going to end up sabotaging like. He's gonna one way or another. He's either gonna have to end up breaking his oath, or he's going to probably lose his alignment, or this or that, which have resulted in consequences for how his character worked worked as a person. And it's like it was it was he was the whole reason why he was being intentionally facetious and frustrating for me to argue with was because he was trying to sabotage Ben's character uh, because he was frustrated with how Ben keeps not role playing correctly and so on. So he was going to do that, and I just. Is is an amusing outcome. Uh, I was like, "Oh, you son of a bitch! You were act- you were genuinely pissing me off because I knew you had to know better than what you were saying." So I was like, "Why are you being such an a- like such a weird idiot?" And it's like, "Oh, it's because you're you're also sick of what's what Ben's doing here with this goddamn murder hobo nonsense when he's supposed to be a monk with all these like oaths and shit." Uh, I found that interesting, and like this entire. These entire dilemmas around what to do with a person are just so much more interesting in these contexts than they often are in the original. I'm not original in a in a video game context where it's usually like I don't know. You get a binary dialogue choice. You pick one or the other. I took a little bit of a break. It's been a bit. Uh, I, I was hungry, so I just stopped for a bit because that's what I can do. Uh, but we're, since we're talking about alignments, actually, they have another alignment related story that's kind of interesting. Just something so specific to. Not only the role play aspect of D and D, but also the multiplayer aspect of of D and D, which are kind of the two core things about the thing that are so interesting all the time. Uh, this is <laughs> so we were playing a campaign with a paladin, and paladins are pretty much always supposed to be lawful good or some lawful evil ones. Uh, they're, they're the most restrictive of the classes, or the one that comes to mind for me at least as being the most restrictive. Uh, the paladins pretty much just have to follow the law and they have to be altruistic and they have to be helpful and good and kind and, you know, total Boy Scouts, basically, as far as they can, like, as, as far as their own judgment goes or so on. Because if they if they err from that faith and that adherence to that way of life, then they can lose their entire everything. And it both is like in 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 gameplay combat mechanics sense and everything like they lose like their class and their ability to do all the things that they're known for doing but even like in the world sense like the paladin would lose their hook to who they are supposed to be as a person and so on but i was playing a campaign where the camp where this particular paladin 
uh, he was he he was rewarded with a a special weapon that was like a flaming sword or something kind of thing. Or it was like the it was like a hilt that expelled out a weapon. Like it was kind of like a lightsaber, really. But this lightsaber was conscious. It could speak. It could think. Like it could. I think it could speak, or at least he could he could get feelings from it or something like that. Uh, it could communicate in one way or another, and. What happened is he used that sword to execute somebody when they were down. And then the sword turned off and it wouldn't turn on again. And this was very entertaining because uh, it pretty quickly became clear to everybody around the table, except the paladin, why the sword wasn't obeying him anymore. But he kept stubbornly going into different combat scenarios and just trying to forcefully like just use the sword and it wasn't working and he would just like and he was like getting cut down basically and he was like this is how this is going to be like you're either going to you're either going to work or we're both going to die and stuff like that and it was just like it was it was really funny because it was so clearly like a judgment of him and his behaviors why the sword wasn't working at that moment but instead of like turning around and like either changing his behavior or just resigning himself to uh, an existence without the special sword that frankly he didn't even have for most of the campaign anyway it was a recent uh, reveal uh he just kept stubbornly dealing with this and on some level i think it's because of like the narratives we're used to in fiction where like you're the chosen one and like a weapon like this is this is a totem of power it's like it, it's like uh king arthur's sword and stuff like that like the archetypical like special weapon that the hero is given to do their thing and so being rejected by that like in the thor sort of way like getting rejected by your weapon is like hurtful and if you're maybe playing a, a role-playing game with a little less self-awareness than you should and 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 you're playing as yourself maybe a bit too much then you like kind of feel judged by that and so he was he was getting judged by his own weapon and rejected and it was interesting that everyone around the table except for him seemed to understand why it was happening too but he just kept stubbornly trying to push forward at all costs and all that i just i don't know i just found that really interesting it's such a weird specific thing and it's like i i don't even i don't even know how you incorporate that into a game like it's potentially possible but it's like it was so specific it was just the the dungeon master's judgment versus the player's judgment and because the sword wasn't communicating what was going on it didn't stop to give like 10 minutes of exposition about its like moral alignment and why it was why it took offense to what he was doing with it and so on and why it rejected him as a master he was left to figure it out himself and he was just failing to do that and it was just all right then I guess you don't get to be the hero, or at least you don't get to be the hero with the sword. Uh, it was it's, it's the interesting situation of just watching like the role play scenario where that kind of chosen one sort of story, where you get the special weapon that that's supposed to like validate you, instead rejects you, and how a person and like a, sort of the character the sort of character study that can come from somebody having to grapple with how what happens when like the sword hones in on their character flaws and reveals them and stuff like that. I just, I, I find that to be a neato thingo. But anyway, 
to talk about the briefly without getting too far into it because we're this isn't the character creation episode yet i'm probably gonna do like a remake slash adaptation of my sorcerer i was doing in 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 the campaign that was happening at marty's house before because that one ended prematurely and i would have liked to go back and do that one again but it, i was dabbling with the sorcerer and having some fun with that and specifically i had this idea that he was a thief and that he opened up a package he was specifically told to smuggle and not open and it like ended up uh permanently making him some kind of sorcerer but also permanently destroying the object that or make losing its value because like it was like a once a, a single use like thing like i essentially destroyed it or sapped of, of its power or made it use unuseful by consuming it essentially in that moment uh and so by doing that i make a good thing and a bad thing and also another bad thing it's like i am now possessing magic power but i don't know how to use it and my skill set and motivations are still based around being like some kind of variation of thief so i'm like i'm not necessarily a good character definitely not a lawful character uh and i my motivations are still mostly around like stealing skill sets and yet uh i'm a sorcerer now which is a different skill set so like i have like a high dexterity and like weird things like that uh that's the character i kind of wanted to remake but another aspect was that he, on top of being a, a thiefly kind of person, he also was a kind of like, he was kind of uh, not agoraphobic, the was claustrophobic. He didn't want to be locked in spaces. He wouldn't go through anything that could potentially like seal him inside, generally speaking. This manifested at one point in that uh, there was these people that were like offering tea and like wanted to show people something in like their basement. We're like in the swamp somewhere. And there was like a trap door there that they were leading everyone down to. And I just refused to go down there. So I just stayed up in the lobby and like made small talk with our hosts or whatever. And then inevitably when they turned on us, it was me versus both of them, which became a huge problem. Or at least it should have been because they were they were supposed to be levels higher than me and a big threat. Uh, and, but I, I had some special tricks. <laughs> Uh, so many of my abilities were about not getting captured and not getting touched and not getting hit and not getting grappled and so on that like I was actually shockingly hard to kill. Actually, wonder if I can find the exact spell. I got my spell cards. Uh, I need to remake this character. I wonder if I can find the exact thing because I think it was this uh, thing that makes you not get hit. Basically, mage armor. No, mage armor takes an action. This just gives you magic armor, essentially. It's not unrelated. I did have that. Shield. This was a cool one. I didn't know about this spell when I played a druid, because I never had a reaction spell as a druid. I didn't know reaction spells existed as a concept. But this is essentially a spell you can cast as a counteraction. An invisible barrier of magical force appears and protects you. Until the start of your next turn, you have plus five bonus to AC, including against uh, the triggered attack, and you take no damage from magic missile. So, you cast this as a reaction, which means that you don't have to prep it. You don't have to be like, well, you, you have to prep it, and that has to be one of your prepared spells, but that's more of a druid thing. Uh, sorcerers just kind of have a, a small list of spells that are available to them. Uh... But what happened is if somebody attacked me, I could as a reaction, as a reflex, like not as a full turn. I didn't have to wait for my turn. I could do it as a counter to what they're doing. I can give myself plus five AC, which means that they have to roll five higher in order to hit me. 
And so what happened is they kept trying to attack me and I kept doing stuff like this where like I would just be like, Hit. and I just would like not, I just kept being unhittable weirdly because I had unusually high, I think it was dexterity because of my rogue background. That was kind of the backstory. But I also was had these effects that would make me harder to hit. And I think I was also using mirror image, which which conjures a series of duplications of myself. So they have every time they do hit me, they have like only a one in four chance that they actually hit the real me. Otherwise, they kill one of my duplications. Then that duplication is destroyed, and they have a and they then have a higher chance of hitting me next time because I have fewer duplications left. So as a result, I could just I was actually able to hold my own against two enemies that were higher level than me because they just couldn't damage me, which was funny. But the reason why they started uh, attacking me was because uh, I started hearing things from down in that trap door that didn't sound so good. And they, re- they, f- they figured the jig was up and they attacked me. But uh, what happened is the rest of my party had encountered some kind of horrible demon altar down there. And they all were, uh, they were all gaining points of madness. You do like a sanity check. That was like, I think it was wisdom or intellect or something like that. Uh and because this was it was like it's like eldritch mechanics where you gain madness points and insight points like that kind of stuff uh and you do a check to see whether or not you can are able to like withstand what's happening to you without something bad happening to you and then if you fail that check you gain a madness point which has other long-term ramifications for the campaign but you also have something happen in that moment you roll against a table you roll a dice to find out what happens based on this table of things that can happen to you in that situation and uh your insanity can trigger certain effects in this case it mostly led to a lot of them attacking each other (laughs) like going after each other and uh lots of friendly fire and and fighting going on so when that all broke out it was clear something was wrong and so then the people upstairs attacked me and so there's like two parallel things happening in two different rooms which is always kind of fun uh but then, because I had to roleplay this character, like, the only way I could justify, like, I was like, I need to get I need to get down there. Something's wrong. I've taken out these two guys. The only way I could do it is I had to physically attack the, the, uh, the trap door. I refused to enter the trap door because it, I, could be, I could get sealed down there. So I had to spend, like, a couple turns attacking the trap door so it was physically destroyed so that it couldn't be used to, like seal me in and then i could justify to myself going down inside there and so on uh this is this is is funny kind of moments that happen those kinds of situations they're they're all just going at each other i don't remember much else about the situation besides that specifically but uh somebody in our group was really good at was pretty all right at the role playing or at least he was having fun with a specific aspect is that he was playing as a bard and that bard was an idiot he had a less than average intelligence we can go back to the character sheet for that just for reference there's these stats and i'll get into this during the character building part i think but you have these stats so when you're seeing those things on that that bar on the left side of my screen there is big numbers those six big numbers are my mod are my the modifiers those are not my stats those are the modifier that comes from my stats well i'll discuss that in the character creation thing probably but my stats there are 10, 18, 16, 12, 15, and 18. So what's going on there is 10 is average. Your average person, this is all 
it's you don't think about it too much because you'll you might lose your mind a little bit because it's like trying trying to figure out what exactly they mean by some of the stuff but the vague guideline is that the average person has 10 strength 10 dexterity 10 constitution 10 intelligence 10 wisdom and 10 charisma you know like up and down a little bit from there so if you if you have below 10 of anything you're considered to be below average at that thing and if you have above 10 of something you're considered to be above 10 of that our bard had below 10 intelligence so he played it that way uh and so he would just do the dumbest possible things in many situations or just be like kind of oblivious or just blunt about certain things and it was the the mess that came of that was really fun in one particular thing he we came into a new city and we had stolen goods that we'd actually gotten i think from killing people that were on their way out of said city uh and he asks a random person on the street uh where he can find a fence as in like defense the stolen goods to make money off of them uh and that person just calls the guards immediately uh so we all back away from that because that he made that mess for himself so he gets arrested none of us are involved uh but i was able to help because a, a quirk of being a sorcerer is that they have meta magic and the meta magic people when you use meta magic you have a bunch of different modifiers you, you like you have your spells per day that all the spellcasters have then you have your meta magic points which are a separate currency system that you can spend per day also to modify your some of your spells that day and since i was all thiefy and also didn't want people to capture me two of the spells i had one was a spell that would increase the range of spells a meta magic modifier that would increase the range of spells which means that you can cast spells f- further away than normal uh, which also had the effect that if it was a touch spell, meaning one that only you can only cast by touching the object you're affecting, it would then become like a 15-foot spell instead of just a touch spell. So that, that gave me the ability to cast spells at range, even if they weren't supposed to be casted at range. Then I had a subtlety modifier, which meant that you could cast a spell without the verbal or somatic components of the spell. Because there's three components to a spell, potentially. One of them is the actual material cost. Like, does it require, like, a feather from an eagle or so on and so forth? Like, are there there reagents that you need to use to cast the spell? Uh, One of them is the verbal part of the spell, the part you say. That's pretty straightforward. And part of it is the somatic part of the spell, which is the gestures that are involved in casting the spell. If you've experienced any Harry Potter, you're already used to all three of these concepts, especially the verbal and somatic part, because that's the whole, like, Wingardium Leviosa, where they do the gesture and the, the words and all that stuff. Uh, so I was negating the verbal and somatic parts. I don't get free spells, although if you have a catalyst, you already kind of have free spells as far as the materials go. Uh the materials don't come up a lot in most campaigns I've played because usually you just have a wand of some sort that lets you get away with not having to use that. But uh, my idea here is I wanted to be able to be able to cast spells if I am bound because my character didn't want to be captured. And we started this entire campaign as being uh, slaves. We had all been captured by drow in the underdark. I didn't want to be captured again. And that was a specific thing I was fixated on. So my whole thing is that if I was bound and gagged, I could still escape my binds with a spell because the, me not being me not being able to do gestures and words doesn't matter because I can use my meta magic to get around that. Because uh, there's a spell called knock that just undoes 
uh, binds and opens doors and unlocks things. Like whatever the thing is that's constricted and conformed and so on, uh, it'll just stop being that way. I think I actually have it in here. Because I think it. No, I think that's like a level two spell, so I don't think it's quite in the cards I have set aside right now. But it does make a lot of noise, so you do have to worry about that. Knock is a noisy spell. But I can still use it when I'm bound, which, or at least that was my interpretation, so that's why I took it. But in this case, our bard is being hauled off, and a side thing happens where uh, this giant, like, beats down the gates of the city, and, like, there's a big hubbub happening. Like, there's a little bit of a distraction happening. So in this moment, from 15 away, from 15 feet away, hidden away in the crowd, I cast Knock, and now our bard is no longer bound in his shackles, and he can uh improvise uh which is the best that's the best i was willing to do i wasn't about to incriminate myself or put my uh, my neck out on the line for this character uh especially when he's doing this to himself but i was i was definitely gonna like just do the smallest gesture of how to help because i had the tools available to me and that's what i did is i just undid his shackles and then moved on but i love that i love the specificity of that like i and like this is a non-combat scenario too, but having the, such really really specific tools prepared that I have for role-playing reasons because it's specific to my character, but they come in handy in unexpected ways like this because our bard uh, was an idiot again, which they usually were. Uh, that what just watching this happen was just great, and it's like part of the fun is that not only do I have the story now that I remember like a year later or more, but like nobody sat down that day thinking that's going to be what was going to happen that day and that's that's this part of the fun of D right there i'm just gonna i'm a little storied out so let's give you a little preview Not here a whole lot to find sitting in the center is this nondescript obelisk with a plaque on it what's supposed to happen is that the players go past the obelisk see that there's some writing they read it and just keep walking however it says that if the players push the obelisk over it would trigger a separate encounter we're not supposed to be running it, the GM explained. I mean, in order for the players to encounter that thing, they will first have to cast Identify on the obelisk, which, I mean, let's be perfectly honest, why would they? And then they would have to decide, oh, hey, let's break this rock and then try and knock it over. Let's be real. That's probably not going to happen. And we all start laughing. It's a joke. Jokes are funny. I like jokes. Yeah, but... What if they do, though? Yeah. So that's called D&D Story, the Opolisk Encounter, on a channel called Puffin Forest. So if you want to see more of that, head over to his channel for more D&D stories. If you just, you know, jonesing for more of those. I'm not thinking of any more right now to tell, necessarily. But that's just an all-around good source for some of that stuff. In particular, it just continues to explore the weirdness of what can happen sometimes in this game.